0: I'm your host, Tom Shaughnessy, and welcome back to Chain Reaction, a research-driven podcast that's a part of Delphi Digital. If you're not on Delphi's research portal, you're missing out on the critical analysis read by the top minds in the crypto space, so be sure to check it out. One quick housekeeping item, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. I may personally hold tokens mentioned on the podcast, and you can view our show notes below for our complete disclosures. With that, let's jump into the episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have an interesting episode. I have on Dean Tribble, who's the CEO of Agoric. And I have Zaki, who everybody knows from Tendermint and uh, Cosmos. How's it going, guys? It's going great. So, Dean, let's start with you. Um, What's your quick background and what's the overview of Agoric? And then I'll pose the same question to uh, Zaki.
1: Sure. Uh, My quick background is I've been doing large-scale secure distributed systems for three decades or more. I worked on the first production smart contract back in 1989 and uh, have been doing, you know, similar interesting kinds of things since. Uh, Agoric was founded by myself and other folks with similar kind of experience. Mark Miller, our chief scientist, wrote the Agoric Open Systems Papers back in 1988 that was really the first articulation of software agents creating and participating in markets. And we've been you know, pursuing that in large-scale business applications, interesting open-source infrastructures, etc., ever since. And a lot of it is, uh, how do we do smart contract? We've done lots of smart contract business-type things before that, or we've seen them in the industry, where there's software systems that are... Implementing a contract-like arrangement between third parties where the software system is really enforcing the terms of the contract. So, you know, eBay, but PayPal, Venmo, Lyft, you know, much of Amazon, all those sorts of things, are software systems where two parties that are not working for Amazon are able to cooperate because of the software that that, that is implemented there, or you know, eBay or whoever. And the exciting thing that that blockchain brings to that is now we don't need that trusted third party. We can do direct, supported cooperation between people that otherwise would not have been able to do business, or would not have been able to to uh, you know come to whatever interesting arrangement they have between them. And so that's always been very exciting, is to just enable new kinds of cooperation. And so Agoric set out to enable smart contracts. Using this high-integrity intermediary of blockchain for the mainstream broad economy, so it's a security model people can understand in a programming language that 20 million people already know how to program, JavaScript, secure JavaScript, and um, on a uh, on leveraging as much existing interesting blockchain technology as we can. So our first uh, test net and our our uh, main net will be on. Tendermint uh, using Cosmos, and we will be branching out from there to run on multiple other underlying uh, infrastructures to provide a uniform or a, a a broad library and services layer for the
0: you know upcoming mainstream crypto economy. It's awesome, a lot going on. I appreciate that. And Zachy, what about yourself and Tendermint?
2: So I've been involved in some sense with the. Uh, with Tendermint and its founders, um, really since the beginning of the company. Um, so I used to make, um, sort of, uh, uh, like life science devices. Um, so I used to do things like program FPGAs and lasers and integrate optics with biology. And like, that was used to be like what I do. Um, and, uh, in 2012, I sort of started to have this insight that like, the same terrible software that I write um, was probably running most of the critical infrastructure of the world or like like that level of quality or worse um, and so I kind of I, I kind of pivoted from that and I got really interested in um, security formal verification cryptography distributed systems because all of these are like where in a world that is built on badly made software, these are the tool, this is the toolkit for for building a more sustainable world um, uh, and a more secure world on top of it. So, um, got interested in like privacy and cryptography. Started a civil liberties organization in 2013. Through the civil liberties organization, I met a bunch of people in San Francisco who were working on things like Bitcoin Core and the Signal secure instant messenger uh, and Tor. I got involved in that scene. I got, um, I sort of um, started, move, uh, I started an enterprise blockchain company in 2014. Um, there used to be a, a mailing list um, called Crypto Economicon um, that like people like Vlad and Vitalik and Nick Szabo on. It was like the equivalent of the telegram, what, what private telegram groups are today. That was what it was uh, back in 2014. We had a conference for that um, for that mailing list, and um, that was where Jay and Ethan met each other. It's also like where Vitalik learned about proof of stake, basically, and BFT. Um, it's mm-hmm. where Vlad's learned about proof of stake. Like it's all like this is it's kind of embedded in the origin story of the whole current crypto scene. Um, so I've been kind of around for the for from the earliest days of uh, of sort of the modern thrust of of, uh, of blockchain and cryptocurrency, um, in, uh, so in as, as sort of the, as, as Cosmos, you know, and I was around for the inception of Cosmos, um, and my thinking on Cosmos was really about marrying ideas about communicating blockchains, um, that Jay had had from back in 2014, um, and how, um, you know, Tendermint and its light client and you would have light clients on different chains with uh, Mark Miller's work, uh, uh, you know, Dean's co-founder, which I'd like just found on the internet. Um, And putting those ideas together was very much the genesis of Cosmos. Uh, And as we've kind of grown the whole space, I've gotten more and more involved in Tendermint and just like the, you know, the scaling and operating of the organization. Uh, But I'm very excited to see IBC come to market, and I'm also like genuinely, you know, humbled and uh, uh, by the opportunity to work with people like Dean and Mark. I also like really think we're opening up uh, a set of sort of new innovations uh, through the collaboration with between Tendermint, the Cosmos community, and and Agoric that will sort of get cryptocurrencies to kind of the next level.
0: That's huge. It's nice to hear that given both of your experience, you know, basically being everywhere in the space, you've both kind of sat down and decided to focus on, you know, Dean with secure smart contracts on Agoric and then Zachy with basically building the most robust tools for distributed networks. It sounds like you guys have this core focus on secure software. I mean, the meeting point of you two is the IBC protocol or the inter-blockchain protocol. Uh, communication protocol. Could we get into what exactly this is? Because I know this is coming to market and you guys are very excited about this. Do you want to take the first shot, Dean?
1: Sure. Um, yeah. The, the, so Agorix started on doing uh, uh, you know smart contracts using cryptographic protocols between machines. And blockchains to us um, were sort of new machines made out of agreement rather than out of silicon. And so we had a lot of patterns for doing distributed communication between machines that could potentially map over. And we had you know, architecture for cooperation and secure communication and uh, you know pipelined high-performance object messaging. But what we did not have was, great, how do you make a machine built out of agreement, a blockchain, um Send a message to something else because because chains can't send messages. They can only sort of write in their in their log, write in their diary, and then there are patterns to have what, what are called relayers look at that and go, oh, it's a message for me. I guess I'd better send it. Right? And the, um, uh, the 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 Tendermint team and and Inter- Chain Foundation and and the General Cosmos folk they abstracted and worked out how to uh enable that cooperation between chains, the whole watching the other guy's uh, sequence of proofs, watching the, the blocks, identifying messages that are coming out, relaying them correctly, having being able to relay proofs from, from one kind of chain to another kind of chain and so forth. So there's sort of a natural marriage that enabled our way of thinking about distributed stuff to operate across different kinds of chains um and, and do and do so reliably. So that was that was sort of the the we were excited to encounter the, the people who had worked through that set of abstractions that the you know the, the of of how people had pulled to work this out on multiple different
0: uh um blockchain infrastructures, multiple different consensus algorithms. Got it. And Zachy, can you give us some color kind of on that meeting point? Because I it was always my understanding, probably my limited understanding, that Cosmos was focused on token transfers where It
2: feels like IBC is for arbitrary messages. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. Okay. So when we had, uh, uh, um, when we had, when we were conceiving of Cosmos, um, so I'll I'll talk about that part of the story, but it also kind of goes a little bit to the, like the meeting point question. So, you know, when we were um, uh, when we were conceiving of Cosmos, you know, um, neither Mark nor Dean were really in the blockchain space. Um, they were, you know, uh, Dean was working, I believe, at a financial either at Microsoft or at a financial services company back in 2016, and uh, Mark was at Google. And so we didn't really, have, and we didn't know any of these people. We were just a bunch of like nobody's living in the, uh, uh, you know, hanging out at, at on around Jay's coffee table, you know, kitchen table on the mission, trying to figure all this stuff out, <laughs> drawing things on the whiteboard. Um, and you know, I knew like I looked at all of the, uh, all of the, um, uh, e-rights work and I'm like, we can make this work for arbitrary compositions of financial instruments. Like we know that we can do this. Like it's obvious from reading the e-rights work, but it's not obvious how to do this, like how to take what was designed for a world of sort of servers and client server and private communication and like move it to the world of blockchains. Um, And what we what has been like really extraordinary about why we're getting sort of Arbitrary, like why IBC out of the gate is going to get arbitrary application protocols on top of it is because we were able to marry Tendermint and the Interchain Foundation's deep expertise on BFT, on uh, proof validation, on light clients um, with Agoric's deep expertise on secure composability and get out of the gate a protocol that basically – supports like essentially a full range of, you know, what we now call DeFi applications um, out of the box rather than launching sort of a very limited subset of that and then sort of hoping to organically evolve towards it, which is what the original um, uh, IBC white paper um, sort of and Cosmos white paper contemplated. But uh, the other, you know, the other thing that is true and realistic, which is Fully working out the details about how do you uh, do um, the agorics protocols and ideas in the setting of public blockchains has taken more than six months of considerable work on both sides to actually work out all the details that like, I couldn't figure out in maybe a couple of weekends of working on it mm-hmm. back in 2016.
0: Got it, Dean. You were laughing a little there. What is uh? What's your take? Did it take longer than you thought? Or
1: um? Oh, you know, software always does, and you 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 make accommodations for that. Um, no, it was just that that indeed it is. It was partly I was laughing because. From there, Zucky observing that, hmm, we can do something uh, initial to get all of this started, but this other thing is hard. And then the fact that indeed, you know, reality shows that when we dig in to go do it, he was right and the other thing was hard. and It was really good that he sort of partitioned it that way was actually what I was chuckling about that, that, that you know, being able to.
2: Well, we didn't actually partition it that way. We actually, because you guys, you know, decided to found Agoric. We realize that we have this opportunity. We have the resources in our ecosystem to actually solve the problem and get the get get to like a, a reusable specification out of the gate instead of like having to do um, having to do like just the token transfer version first. Which if we hadn't, uh, but before we knew you before Agoric existed and we'd sort of built this partnership, that was our plan.
1: Right, right. That makes sense. Now I realize that what we didn't answer was the first part of your question, which is what is IBC, and the easiest way to think about that, from a you know analogy point of view, is it's TCP for for the interconnected chain world of blockchains. So it's it's a abstract it, it's a um, network protocol on which you can build application protocols that work across chains. And so it is application neutral, it is chain neutral, it is consensus algorithm neutral, and it is intended to be something that can be broadly adopted independent of any in any specific infrastructure because it incorporates those generic those general patterns of how can one blockchain talk to another blockchain or how can a machine talk to a blockchain or vice versa and by abstracting out those patterns it becomes something that that more people can leverage in more situations and you can layer above that, application protocols, the simplest one as you described being um, moving tokens back and forth. But you know moving non-fungible tokens is harder still. Moving application abstractions like proof of location or being able to extend uh, over the network the right to present evidence of slashing or the control of an account on another chain all of those start to be more and more interesting application level protocols that you can now specify independent of the of of the exact logistics of shuttling messages back and forth and proving to to chain A that chain B really did mean to 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 send this packet and so that's what that, that's what IBC gives us is really a, you know, poly chain centric uh, abstract communication
0: protocol that we can build on. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, having a standard for communications between chains is huge. I mean, the other question for you guys, though, is kind of a cultural thing. Right. I feel like it's very hard to convince developers to work outside of the layer one they're on. Right. It's so like a lot of ETH devs and are building kind of within Ethereum. And then Polkadot kind of started as doing, you know, being an interop play, but now they have smart contracts. Like, I feel like it's very hard to convince people to work across chains. How do you guys think that you could address that with the IBC protocol? Or do you think that this is the first protocol that makes it easy enough and kind of opens up this opportunity?
2: So I would say that, you know, in general, um, anything... Uh, well, w- let's like look at the hypotheses that we started out with on um, on on cosmos and how they've been validated over time. I can do this like in like you know three minutes. Um, so hypothesis one was that there would be a new generation of fast uh, uh, blockchains based on um, uh, like taking and improving on the work of classical consensus. Um, to get these like, fast, scalable blockchains. Um, so you know, we've now seen uh, uh, you know, an, an extremely large number of these, an extremely large number of frameworks, and that's only growing. Um, so I think that hypothesis has been, has been validated. Um, the next hypothesis, which you know, was uh, very controversial and is still sort of kind of like our core, if you want to say what is the difference between the Ethereum viewpoint and the Cosmos viewpoint, is the viewpoint that blockchains are inherently political entities. And um, the reason you might want your own blockchain is simply because it is hard to come to agreement with everyone in the world about everything. And there is a natural differentiation of priorities in building any sort of shared computing environment. Um, And so any sort of shared computing environment is inherently political. Um, The best way to solve political differences is to have the opportunity to separate um, and still remain part of one economy. So this gets us to the to the final point, which is um, what we're what what I've, what the what we're trying to validate in twenty twenty, um, which would, if true, sort of fully validates the entire cosmos vision, uh, is that once you have this opportunity to have. Um, This like lightweight, loosely connected blockchain to blockchain communication, it acts as a massive innovation accelerator on the space um, that you are no longer hamstrung by the political processes of various layer one chains. Um, You can essentially spin up a blockchain which has any smart contract environment you want, any cryptographic primitive support you want, um, any uh, uh, you know, choose your number of validators, etc., and immediately be able to access from that blockchain um, uh, items of value that you are able to transact on. Um, and if that we can sort of full, we can validate that final hypothesis. Uh, that will be sort of the proof of the entire Cosmos vision, mm-hmm. um, and that that's sort of the the final stage to to, to winning and. I, we, we suspect, or we hope, or we will see, um, uh, if developers find that so compelling as a vision that they would be able to, that they would, um, that they would take that over, um, you know, being, uh, 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 a participant in, um, uh, the political processes of some other layer one chain, or at least they'll enjoy the option.
0: Yeah. I like the call around the cosmos vision and kind of where you guys are at now. I mean, Zaki, what is the push and pull, though, today, though? Are you seeing developers that are saying, you know, hey, I really wish we could build an app between, say, Ethereum and EOS and Bitcoin? Or is this something that is critical infrastructure for future devs or future use cases? I'm just wondering if this is something you guys, like, need right now or if this is something that will be big in the future.
2: So I think what it is is um, you have... Both, you know, you've seen two very large projects. Uh, uh, one fully leave Ethereum already for the Cosmos ecosystem, which is Binance, um, and one that is plotting their exit, um, which is uh, Aragon. Um, both of these things are, you know, well known. But if you look at why, why did they do this? Because they want sovereignty and control. Like that was that was what they wanted. Like. Aragon sort of said, "Okay, like the Ethereum core devs made uh, decided to tra- trade off on unexploited denial of service vulnerability with breaking, um, you know, fifteen hundred Aragon contracts." Um, and Aragon was like, "Okay, th- this is our this is our lesson in the value of sovereignty because maybe that is real, but like we would have different priorities there." Um, and this is like. And, you know, having uh, working with, you know, the ChainSafe and the Ethereum community to build Ethermint created the opportunity for them to have a, a low cost uh, transition into the Cosmos ecosystem. But I think that there's a, a, a real question um, with both of those things. Um, you know, Binance was in this position where they had, a, um, you know, where they have the centralized exchange to operate as to, to function as an interoperability layer. Um, and to, to sort of source things of value uh, into the Binance chain. But uh, most people don't have that. Most projects don't have anything like that. So they need, um, they need tooling uh, to be able to interact with the larger ecosystem if they want to have any of the benefits of sovereignty. Right now, the cost of sovereignty is you need to be able to bootstrap value on your system autonomously. Um, and only sort of very large projects can do that. When we're... Um, When we have IBC, it basically brings what was appealing about Cosmos to, you know, Terra, Binance, Aragon, but it brings it into the level of accessibility of, uh, you know, a single developer or like a small team.
0: Got it. And, Zachy, where does the line get drawn, though? I mean, because I feel like if Binance wants to build out, say, DeFi or Web3 or... Aragon wants their own sovereignty, isn't every decision they're going to make going to be to try and keep everything inclusive? Like, why would they then decide in the future to want to use IBC to interact with other chains or to get other capabilities from other projects?
2: Because there are because like these the political divisions are natural. Um, uh, Some people are going to feel affinity with Gon, Some people are going to feel affinity with Binance. Some people are going to feel affinity with open Libra. Some people are going to feel affinity with Agoric. Some people are going to be a feel affinity with like an infinitely large number of these projects. Um, there is just like, an, there are like, I believe just cause these things are made up of human beings and, <laughs> you know, human beings would rather sort of, uh, you know, like building social context with people in order to like, have these long-term relationships in order to build and manage and maintain complex pieces of infrastructure are not um, are not things that scale infinitely you know you can't have an ethereum core devs calls with 10,000 people on it but you can have a hundred core dev calls with a hundred people on it
1: um, it's, also, it's also important that different problems require different uh, characteristics or performance trade-offs or, or support from their infrastructure, or different kinds of problems have different requirements for governance. It's not just that people want sovereignty, though that's certainly true, um, but, it, but it's that uh, people who are great at solving a you know computational load balancing problem for high volume short transaction rate stuff might not be the right people for governing a stable coin that has a hundred billion dollars on it and so having different subnetworks that people can have comparative advantage that's what makes an economy work there isn't a single company running the world there's a lot of companies all cooperating and people cooperating in that and 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 that's just crucial to enable innovation to enable uh, a successful deployment of large-scale systems and yet some better idea can come along deploy and solve some really hard problem and participate in that in, in that same ecosystem
0: no that, that's fair enough and dean and zaki what's the status of ibc just so i know so i could frame the the end of the conversation the second half
2: um, so the status of ibc right now is uh we have a nearly final spec that has gone through some security audits um, the team is hard at work um, uh, putting together the implementation right now. Um, our sort of next major milestone, so for San Francisco Blockchain Week, um, we had a bunch of really late nights and um, put together the first demo slash testnet experience, and we got a fairly large community of people uh, participating in those demos. Um, what we, But in order to get those demos out of the door, we left – several large pieces of the, of the work to, uh, you know, especially the work about around um, supporting sort of arbitrary ad hoc kinds of um, protocols and messages um, to be done. Um, we're in, we're, we're sort of going through this period of intense focus on getting those out. And once those out, then we have another demo um, that will work and hope we're expecting that demo to form the basis of what we're calling game of zones, which will be an incentivized test net, um, inspired by and like along the lines of what we did um, into earlier in 2019 with Game of uh, Game of Stakes, um, at what that is done, the IBC will essentially be a finished product and be part of the Cosmos SDK, um, and then it will be up to Hub governance how it gets adopted on the Hub. Um, but we expect to see chains starting to pop up supporting IBC all over uh, uh, all over the place.
0: Gotcha. So it sounds like this is something that will be around in production within the next, say, 12 months. Yes, absolutely. Okay, that, That's fair enough. And Dean, switching to you for a second, I mean, you've been around for a while, you've held, held some pretty solid roles, to say the least, I'll link to your, your bio for everybody. Why did you decide to focus on secure smart contracts when we have kind of other platforms that are focused on this? And I guess mm-hmm. the second question there is, you know, how does IBC advance that vision for you? So
1: those answers are actually quite easy. So we we originally got into this because in 2017, friends of ours that were already in the blockchain space were observing that uh, people would, you know, security experts would write smart contracts, roll them out. And they would end up with exploitable bugs that would lose $30 million in minutes. So they'd fix them and they'd lose another 160 or something, right? And, and it's not because these people were not brilliant. It's because the underlying infrastructure was wrong, right? And and I've worked on numerous systems that come out of what's called the object capability security Model um, where secure operating systems use that security model through, you know, Picos, Eros, the Midori project at Microsoft, and so forth, SEL4, uh, which is arguably the most secure operating system on the planet right now. And that model is a model that works for rapidly changing. Uh, security rights, which is essential for if I'm trading you something that's dynamically and programmatically changing, who has what right to the underlying thing I'm selling you. And it works for composition of components. And so from our perspective, we look at these other systems out there, and they enabled a lot of experiments. They got a lot of excitement going. But fundamentally, I think that security model is some, the security model that you see in Ethereum and Tezos and others. Um, is something that millions of programmers simply will not be able to succeed at. They will not be able to have the kind of uh, framework and ecosystem of components that you can put together that, are, that make everything from Ruby on Rails to React to Vue uh, successful. And that's what's needed for smart contracts to take off in the mainstream. So our focus is, what does it take for millions of programmers to succeed at this stuff? And that requires the different security model that we've spent uh, 30 years building systems along. And, and and so that's why we set out to do this. On the other side of that, it's also the case that selling security is really hard. And one of the nice things about the blockchain ecosystem is there's real value in the security innovation that actually makes a difference, and and so all of the the stuff that we've built for again the, these you know control systems and that sort of thing actually have direct value to 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 enabling safe composition of smart contracts. And so you know you always kind of want to go and apply your insights to where they'll have the most impact. Um, with respect to IBC, uh, so for us it is you know the 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 we have a next-level-up protocol where we use IBC as the underlying transport in the same way that that that, uh, that we would use TCP or TLS or, or, or what have you as an underlying transport between individual machines. And above that, we layer our protocol for doing high-performance pipeline uh, remote object invocation so that I could have an auction inside of a contract on one chain uh selling an asset that was implemented in a contract on another chain and it all works transparently and i could take that asset and sell it to someone on yet a third chain and so that um uh so 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 ibc lets us lets us Focus on building that infrastructure up from there and work with experts at the consensus layer to make, make, make that, make our system able to run on more than one infrastructure or be able to run on an infrastructure and communicate and leverage the functionality of other chains, whether it's, you know, Ethereum with a bunch of well established stuff or new chains that are providing, you know, proof of location or identity or credentials or what have you.
0: That's awesome. So I guess a question for both of you, but maybe more for Dean, how hard would it be, or would it be impossible or just not realistic um, for developers in the crypto space today to want to execute contracts that are connected across multiple chains? Like is this something that you can do now, or is this something that we literally have no way of doing now?
2: Um there's it's sort and this represents, I think, sort of an interesting uh, question. Because there, there is some prior art on systems like this in sort of, especially in the Ethereum sidechain ecosystem. Um, like, there is some notion of um, passing messages between, let's say, a proof of authority chain and a contract on the Ethereum main chain. And so far, no user experience um, around this has has been um, has like made it into wide adoption or, you know, been able, and, um, it's a, it it is a little bit of a, uh, a perplexing question about why. Um, uh, now we can, we can hypothesize a little bit about why it is, um, you know, Solidity doesn't give you, um, great tools today to, um, to develop and reason about and interact with any of this cross chain stuff. Um, it's sort of foreign to the ecosystem. Whereas, if you look at the uh, Cosmos SDK, uh, Golang environment, and the um, Agoric environment, this sort of cross chain stuff is going to be incredibly native to the environment, um, and that may sort of sort of help the developer, exp- you know, bootstrap the developer experience in a significant way. Um, one of the things that I would say is just sort of like an overall critique and question I have about um, the ecosystem that a lot of, of, of sidechain projects or you know, connected networks of change projects are, are, are building is it's pretty clear that like, you need to do some, some work at the EVM layer if you really want to make an EVM that is part of a, a multi-chain ecosystem work really well. Um, and it's not really clear to me where that whether or not you know whether or not there's been a center of gravity around that work yet. Um, and thinking about uh, where design changes in the EVM um, make sense if that's what you're betting on. Um, we are betting on the EVM mostly as a legacy environment, and the Cosmos SDK and uh, the and uh, you know Agorix uh, set environment as the as the um, as the sort of modern environment which we expect people to we expect there to be migration to
0: that makes sense so i guess when you guys are thinking about security assumptions and stuff like that and i know this is a rabbit hole but you know somebody who's not a dev like me always wonders you know if i'm using a bridge or i'm interacting with multiple chains there's obviously a risk that something happens um, at the communication level in between those chains do you guys have a way of addressing that with IBC or is that something that may not or may still be a concern here?
1: Well, there's certainly a lot of thought into IBC to ensure that it's robust against very, you know, against you know, many of the the many forms of attack or or disruption that we know of i mean ibc really abstracts out those best practices that people worked out for pegging between chains or 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 communicating uh about one line, one light client onto another chain and so forth so that's a big part of having experts like chris goes and and june and others uh working on these designs is is that it incorporates all those best practices
2: um, I would all, okay, so we're taking, we're taking two points of view on this. One point of view is while we have lots of hypotheses about what IBC is going to be used for and how it is going to be manifested into the market, um, we don't know that answer yet. Um, so we've somewhat taken the advantage, the point of view that some of these things um, need to be deferred. Um, to uh, an environment where we simply know more about what people want to use IBC for and what that, where there is product market fit. Uh, the second thing is, is that the design of IBC is designed in such a way that it does push a lot of these questions about reliability, economic security, up a layer to sort of users, applications, block explorers, um, staking and slashing, like these kinds of, syst- these kinds of, uh, of, of systems. And, um, it's pr- pretty clear that there's going to be a, a, a lot of pieces of middleware that need to be built, uh, in order to get to the fully mature IBC, uh, 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 application. And this is, was a very successful strategy for the internet. This was the strategy that the, you know, that the TCP, uh, uh, we didn't say, oh, like we're going to build TCP/IP and this will be the f- full uh, answer, and people will just like build, you know, giant world-spanning applications just like right on top of this raw TCP layer. We realized that there would be an entire universe of of, of middleware that would get built on top of it before you get to something like YouTube. Um, and what we're trying to do with IBC is follow that design pattern. Um, of as the use cases become clear, the middleware and the um, the middleware and the application sort of co-evolve, um, and the base layer protocol makes sort of minimal assumptions, allowing it to support many different applications.
1: And there's some collection of both, you know, as with as with many of these things, there's some collection of lightweight governance to enable organized progress and permission enabling permissionless innovation right? The, the, the folks doing video stuff didn't ask anyone's permission for how to develop a new application standard for doing video. And same with same with IBC. The, the folks that want to do an application protocol don't need anyone's permission or help in order to be able to build a new interesting application protocol. And enabling that kind of innovation so that everyone doesn't have to reproduce, oh, how do I integrate with a light client again,
0: um, is, 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 is a big part of why we're doing this. Yeah, that's a great call from both of you guys. I I think people kind of don't realize how powerful and how fast iteration can happen when you have all the building blocks and tech in place. And I guess building on that question, uh, Zach, you kind of brought up about the internet a lot. You know, let's say we're a year from now. I'm just trying to judge how fast something like IBC can help grow the crypto space, right? Because you spend years building something, but then once it's live, it can really spur a lot of interest and a lot of dev activity. Do you think that IBC has the potential to do that out of the gate or do you think that it will be a moving target as all this middleware has to be built out?
2: My honest answer to this question is I don't know. Um, And we have, we have a lot of initial experimentation planned out um, from the Tendermint team um, that we're going to start talking about more in 2020. Um, The, um, the, Um, the, so that's one piece. The second piece is that the, um, that the, uh, the, the second piece is that we don't, the, the second piece that we like, don't really know the, or one of the things I think a lot about is one of the missing pieces of the whole ecosystem that we're operating in is like the missing piece of sort of the standard library of economic primitives, um, that a developer needs to know. Um, like, I think one of the biggest challenges a developer faces right now is um, that the game theory and economic design of things like auctions, market makers, bonding curves, all of that stuff is a fairly complicated strategy involving a great deal of knowledge and analysis. And it's not like a developer who wants to build an application can easily just grab a um, Uh, a market maker, et cetera, Um, and especially in, like, a cross-chain environment or if they want to be able to customize it in some small ways but, like, leave the overall structure or they want to share liquidity in, like, a very interesting way. Um, And so I I think there's these two uh, uh, component pieces. One is, like, sort of the broader IBC application middleware, but it also is this supply of reasonably well-designed economic primitives Um, that both need to be solved before we truly get an explosive growth in the blockchain space.
0: Yeah, I I would agree there. I mean, we spend a lot of time on token econ and finance, given our backgrounds at Delphi. And I definitely think that the space is just as early on coming together on models and frameworks to value these networks and to have that economic game theory in place. It's definitely still a work in progress.
1: Yeah, a big part of what Agoric is enabling, you know, we're not just trying to be smart contracts, but it's exactly the kind of reusable components where these component ecosystems work because an expert at one thing, you know, someone who's really good at auctions can build it once, but you know, someone who wants to build an art auction thing, they're going to go to you know a, web, a search website or a coding website and say, how do I do a good auction, and it'll point them at the right component, and they'll just pick it up and use it, right? You know, it's that that kind of people with different interests and different expertise can build components that get combined to a, a much more interesting system and a much more interesting economy. Um, I want to respond to the, the the first question there that you asked to uh, Zaki about how does this enable innovation? Because, you know, Agoric talks to folks out in the mainstream economy about their use cases, and there are two, there are the 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 initial way that people think about Interop in the blockchain space is, can I move tokens back and forth? And being able to move tokens back and forth is hugely valuable. More generally, being able to move value back and forth is hugely valuable. But the other two kinds of innovation are something that the mere existence of ibc is already is already able to unlock for people and it has to do with their decision of what they're going to do next so if i'm building a chain that adds a specific kind of functionality that chain by itself or that functionality by itself that might need chain infrastructure is only marginally interesting because if I can't do smart contracts on it, then I can't do smart, interesting location proofs, or I can't do, you know, I can do some interesting credentialing stuff, but I can't bring it over to some application that's doing fancy insurance, uh, you know, fancy insurance underwriting of, 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 of freight delivery or whatever. And so by being able to know that in the future I can build a chain with specialized functionality and still deliver that functionality into richer application problems than than can possibly be implemented on my chain makes it possible for to go ahead and do that because I'll know I'll be able to leverage it later. Similarly, We've talked to enterprises where they're going. Well, you know, we want to start as a out as a private chain, but we know that's not what blockchain is about. We know it's about being able to connect with other people. So we're torn as to how to go about doing this. And by knowing that in the future they will be able to connect in a rich way with other chains, makes their you know um, uh, uh, decision in you know their 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 indecision problem. Easier, they can now more easily decide to go ahead and commit to a particular infrastructure, knowing that they'll be able to bridge to other infrastructures later. And so those choices aren't quite as um, uh, as as uh, locked in as they would have been, even as even as little as you know four months ago. Before there was obviously going to be a a, a uh, an ability to do interop in the future. And so just freeing up people's ability to go ahead and commit to some special purpose thing and be able to bridge it and know that they can bridge it to the rest of the world, we already see people going, great, I can now move ahead without worrying about how this is going to fit.
0: For sure. And Dean, two questions for you here kind of on that topic. I mean, the first one is, you know, smart contracts aren't just like transactional entities, right? Like when you throw them all together, you could create these kind of living and breathing applications, right? Like MakerDAO is all just a series of smart contracts. How do you view creating like actual entities uh, with Agoric smart contracts? And the second question there is: if you're able to do that, wouldn't IBC allow the execution of smart contracts from other protocols? Like, can I just build smart contracts on Ethereum and run them through IBC, or is kind of Agoric the only player uh, for IBC?
1: Oh, so I certainly expect there to be lots of players for IBC, and you know our focus is. How, how do we get to mainstream applications and mainstream economy? And that's going to require, you know, all hands on deck of anyone, with, anyone with any kind of expertise is going to be hugely valuable as we start to unlock that market, which is a thousand times larger than what people are currently looking at in crypto. Um, but, I'll, but the fundamentals of being able to have. Secure composition of smart contract components. That's the reason why people would want to build on on the Agoric platform. So yeah, you could have a smart contract on Ethereum once it's got a good IBC bridge, able to use or control um, uh, uh, remote uh, remote assets. But um, but being bringing over assets uh, from other chains. To the agoric chain, so that they are programmable by millions of of, of of JavaScript developers out in the world, is the you know is the value prop that we're primarily focused on. So I have you know I we're happy to uh, support. Other models of smart contracts. And, you know, we participate in the WASM group. We participate in, in lots of other groups and, and bring our, and, and bring our expertise or advice uh, where it's welcome. But, but, but the value of having a good compositional model that's easy to produce new digital assets in and easy to build contracts across both our and our assets and digital assets produced on other chains is, is, is why we're not worried about that as a, as a, as a competitive point, shall you say?
2: Yeah. I mean, like, let me just paint you a picture of like, kind of like this, like a speculative world that is possible. Um, So there's like a speculative world, for instance, um, like one of the things that has come up a lot about, um, about uh, uh, the potential use cases for some of this stuff is like in, um, it's very difficult in, um, in the in the current world of um of what we've got in terms of um of uh, uh like maker collateral like cdp liquidations compound liquidations etc um in like the normal financial world there would be you know clearing houses which are you know uh, multi-member organizations that pool capital and um decrease um, market, you know, price discontinuity when like there's a collateral liquidation. Um, But like building any of those things in a decentralized setting with multiple parties managing, um, managing, you know, uh, managing all of this risk, having like multi-party decision making about what we, what we liquidate at what price uh, is really basically impossible to build in uh, into um, on the Ethereum ecosystem today. Um, in its current form, but in an environment where you have sort of multi-chain ecosystem, potentially you have opportunities for like things like private voting and private computation, um, using some of these technologies that get layered in, um, by these multi-chain systems. Um, it might be possible to have like a contract that's on the Ethereum blockchain, for instance, that's controlled by a network that's on top of Cosmos where, um, People are staking their votes locally on the chain, but like the the, one of the assets they have to potentially purchase liquidations on is controlled on the Ethereum chain and it's controlled by cross contract calls. Like this world is constructible with the atomic pieces that we have built basically over the last six months. Um, Like all of those pieces exist. It is. Yet to be determined whether or not anyone will build and launch those pieces. But all those pieces now, um, are, are, uh, are there. And it's really up to someone to go out and, uh, uh, build something like that. And, um, I think that that possibility exists. Um, you know, as we get further out in the future though, you get something like, and IBC and Agoric is fully propagated and more value lives in, um, in something like, uh, uh, like natively in the IBC network and natively is controlled by things like, um, you know, CES smart contracts. Um, then something like that becomes less of a, Oh, I built a bunch of complex adapters and more like, Oh, this is just a standard library function to build a clearinghouse.
0: No, I couldn't agree more, Zachy, on being able to drag and drop some of that stuff and have the standards in place. I guess, Dean, you're kind of on the front lines of smart contracts and building and working with a lot of devs to build kind of things that will automatically execute kind of in a decentralized way. Do you agree with Zaki that we are, you know, we're not even closer or not that we're not even close, but we are pretty far away from having these applications in the wild? Or I, I might be misunderstanding that part.
1: Uh, my phrase for that sort of thing is closer now than ever before. Um, so yeah, we, the, the, the smart contracts that are out there right now, well, sorry, the smart contracts that are out there on the blockchain, because remember, there's, you know, near on a trillion dollars of smart contracts that don't have, you know, that use a trusted central third party rather than this nice, high integrity, you know, uh, um, uh, blockchain infrastructure. But most of them are really islands, right? They, they they, they you know, yes, I'll, you know, for the next ERC-20 co- uh, contract, I'll copy an existing ERC-20 contract. But the notable ability of one contract to actually leverage another contract they're very exciting and interesting because there's so little of that and in real economies there's a vast amount of that such that it's actually such such that it's sort of unremarkable and you know and it's not because people don't want to do that it's because in those existing infrastructures it's really hard and so and so you know I think that once we're able to do that, it you know it'll ramp up like, you know, any any other any other hockey stick, it could ramp up surprisingly quickly, but you know, but we've built all the pieces and now we have to get them all in place and start showing people how and then this kind of thing will take off. So it's, you know, uh it's a it's a small number of years before you see all of that growth,
0: not a large number, but it ain't there right now. Now that makes sense. And do you guys think that IBC could potentially interact with Bitcoin a lot more? Like, are developers going to be able to leverage IBC to actually build real applications using Bitcoin? Because I know, obviously, Lightning is great, but it really hasn't taken off like everybody thought it would yet. Um, What is your thoughts there with the interaction between IBC and Bitcoin?
2: So, I, like, what I imagine, here's what I imagine the future looks like. Um, You know, assuming as we get further out into the E2.0, uh, deployment cycle. There's going to be basically Bitcoin, which is going to be a like a slow, limited functionality, legacy blockchain, um, and then there's going to be all like you know many built, you know hundreds of billions of dollars of value, if not more, um, in it. And then there's going to be this expanding network that speaks IBC um, as one of its protocols of fast blockchains. And then the question is, what is the interface layer between that? And what does it mean to be able to program Bitcoin in this network? Um, and I think the real question that is is sort of open right now is a little bit, how much work is going to go into the, um, how much is this going to be part of the, um, how much of this is just going to happen through like sort of centralized custodial bridges? Um, so, you know, like Binance has, put, you know, I think made like 6,000 Bitcoin Available on the Binance chain, um, just by locking, you know, segregating an account, um, basically of the vast number of Bitcoin that they hold, Um, or is it going to go through decentralized peg zones like what uh, the cross chain group and Nomic and like other people in our ecosystem are building? Um, And I think that question and how it interacts with regulatory concerns and all of that stuff um, is just is like another factor in all of these pieces. uh, but uh, it, it is definitely much easier to, you know, uh, uh, the cross chain group is doing really interesting work on um, interoperating um, Bitcoin and Ethereum. But I think it is orders of magnitude easier to do um, IBC to Bitcoin interop um, for the most part.
0: Now, that makes sense. Guys, this has been awesome on IBC and what you guys are building to connect basically the world of blockchains here. And my last question for you is a bit unrelated, but more, I guess, personal and could we'll start with Dean or Zackey, whoever you know, has an answer first, but I want to know what's a strong opinion you guys had, you know, a couple years ago about the space that has markedly changed. This could be something you either felt strongly about and your view has changed, or this could be something you were wrong about, just interested in, you know, your personal evolution here in the space.
1: Well, I have, it's a tough question. I, I have a simple one because a couple of years ago I was deep in, uh, you know, startup company payment instrument to do check based payments so there's you know 30 whatever it is 30 trillion dollars in check based payments in the US and so i had to steer very clear of bitcoin and hadn't really wrapped my head around it and so you know so i thought bitcoin you know was completely confused about its about its value prop and didn't have legs and I was kind of right about it being completely confused about its value prop, but it totally had legs in terms of being an ongoing store of value and so uh, you know so now I think of it as this you know as as the big reservoir of crypto liquidity that you know that that everyone building other systems or anyone trying to build a general a smart contract framework really wants to make sure we're able to tap into in a graceful way so all those people that got into this space early are in a position to help make stuff happen on the stuff on the the systems that we're building. So that was that was pretty much a, you know, I, I didn't hold those opinions very strongly, but it certainly flipped around my 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 perception of the role and purpose and value of bitcoin.
2: What I would say is I wasn't expecting uh, uh, regulatory structure and liquidity um, to become sort of – I wasn't expecting us to, like, conquer all of the major technical barriers to mainstream adoption, but still – and then find ourselves in a situation where mostly what was remaining was liquidity and market structure and regulatory questions. Um, And I was certainly not expecting that to happen in 2019. Um, that was very much a hope like on one hand it was like a very hope like it's surprising to me that I think we have made so much technical progress this year. Um, but like the reason it's not reflected in price activity, et cetera are mostly coming down to regulatory and liquidity questions and not uh, uh, like the intensity of the technical barriers.
0: Yeah, you're not wrong there, Zach. I definitely agree with you there. Well guys. Dean and Zachy, it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, for everyone listening, I'm going to be list or linking to IBC Cosmos and Agoric, and also uh, Zachy and Dean's Twitter's and associated handles uh, if anybody wants to follow them and find out more. But Dean and Zachy, it's been a pleasure having you guys on. This has been a great, uh, great episode. Thank you very much, Tom, for having us. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on iTunes, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter and LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our next episode. Out soon.